Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Um, my name is Marissa. For those of you who don't know me, I volunteer in the nursery regularly on the Sundays, and I'm working out at camp this summer. So this morning I'm reading Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went to his disciples in a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. But my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is welling, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is still not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy, he left them and went away one more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you, Marissa. Awesome. Another part of the awesomeness of that story is out at LIT on uh, Wednesday doing a session, and I just said in the session, I said, who'd be interested in reading scripture? And two of the young ladies in the LIT program said, I absolutely would. So Marissa was our first one, and a couple weeks later, we'll have another young lady reading scripture, and I just think it's awesome how willing they are to do that, and, and just the strength of the, the LIT program there. It's been, been a really good year this year. So let's just pray together, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for the privilege of, of being here and, and looking into your word to, to worship you together, Lord. Why should we gain? Lord, why, why should we gain from what you've accomplished to us, Lord, for us? And Lord, I just want to pray that this morning we would just be truly grateful for what you've done for us, for your death on the cross, for the life that you give. And Father, as we look into the fruit of the Spirit this morning, Lord, I just want to pray that you would just... Again, help us to understand that as these things um, grow in our lives, develop in our lives, Lord God, that we will make waves, we will make an impact on the people around us. So just thank you in your name, amen. Well, it's been a privilege to, uh, to go through this series, Making Waves. Uh, next week is our last week together. Um, and I didn't put the slide up there this morning with the fruit of the Spirit, but I thought that we could try to say that together. So if you need to sing it in your head, that's fine. But So the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Nate last week spoke on faithfulness so that this means that this week I get to speak on gentleness. Now I gotta tell you something about gentleness. 
it's one of those topics that it's really hard to find information on. If you Google gentleness, I Google gentleness, now maybe it's because I was a kid pastor for a long time, but the first page of, of results for, for illustrations on gentleness was all Sunday school teachers teaching preschool kids, right? Flannel graphs and, and, or even like videos, all these things with puppets and things along those lines. Because as you think about gentleness, it's not often longed for and it's not often taught on. And so I was sort of commenting on that to Amanda and talking about the fact that, you know, it's, it's hard to find stuff and I'm just not sure how to present it. And I'm, you know, if you're talking with a group of guys, I guarantee you as they're sitting around and, you know, playing pool together or whatever, and they're sharing their heart, you know, which happens rarely, but when it does, you know not gonna fit a lot of guys that go, gee, I really wanna work on gentleness in my life right? It's not something that we seem to long for, and perhaps it's because we don't understand it. So I was kind of complaining about that to Amanda, and she goes, do you just not like the fruit of the Spirit? Because patience was hard for me too, right? And so I was like, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I, I like the fruit of the Spirit. I want it to grow and develop in me, but just sometimes finding the words and the way to speak on it is a little bit tricky. And like I said earlier, it's, it's not easy to find resources on gentleness. And I think, again, it's because we misunderstand what it is. I was watching a message by Alistair Begg as I was preparing for this, and he quoted a Dutch Reformed pastor by the name of George Bethune. And George Bethune noted this, perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. It's really interesting. Again, probably no grace um, prayed for less. Probably no grace that we just go, yeah, I really, really want to be gentle. And he said, it's, he said really, we think it more as people just by disposition. That's a very gentle lady. That's a very gentle man, whatever. It's, it's something that just comes naturally to people rather than realizing it's something that the Holy Spirit should work on in us and grow in us. And he said, and this one really caught me, seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin? Not to be gentle is sin. And so this is the thing. If, if we ask for it so little, but it's sin not to have it and not to display it, how do we, how do we come to understand it so it's something that we desire? And I think part of the problem is we always see gentleness as the fact that we are weak, maybe spineless, not, a, not able to stand up for ourselves, that we just let people trample all over us, that we're just a doormat. But today, my desire is to, to help us look at gentleness, to see the, the absolute strength that is presented in gentleness. And we're going to look at Jesus, of course. He's the perfect example of everything. But as we look at Jesus, we're going to see a situation that he faced where he demonstrated crazy gentleness. And it wasn't that he was weak. It wasn't that he was spineless. It was the fact that he was incredibly strong so that he could follow through on, on gentleness. And so we're looking forward to looking at that uh, with you. So we've seen what gentleness isn't, that it isn't overly sought after, but we really have to see, okay, what is it? When the Bible speaks of gentleness, what is it talking about? One of the resources I like to use is Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of the Old and New Testament Words. That's a long title. That, that about takes my attention span right there, just getting through the title. But it's one of those, it's a resource that's really good, and it notes this about gentleness. And it's sort of... I'll say it's sort of a wordy definition, so I'll kind of walk through it, uh, and then we'll, we'll read through it, and then we'll pop back to it. It is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. 
It is that temper of spirit in which he accepts his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. It is closely linked with the word humility and follows directly upon it. So let's just sort of break that down for a minute. First thing is it's an inwrought grace of the soul. As opposed to that common theory that gentleness is just something that comes naturally to people, what, he, what, what we want to see is the fact that it actually comes from within. It's something that the Holy Spirit, true gentleness is something that the Holy Spirit develops in us. And the primary use of gentleness is actually not me to you. It's me to God. It's you to God. And understanding that, it, it, kind of when I read that, I was like, well, what are we talking about here? How do, how do I be gentle to God? Why does God need me to gent- be gentle with him? We're going to cover that uh, in, in just a little bit. It's a temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resistance. And so this is, again, it, it comes from a deep sense of trust. It's saying to God, okay, God, this situation's coming my way. I might not like it but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to obey you in it. Gutquestions.org, it defines gentleness in this way. Gentleness, also translated meekness, so as you come across meekness in Scripture, depending on your translation, it would be the same as, as gentleness in most cases, does not mean weakness. Rather, it involves humility and thankfulness towards God and polite, restrained behavior towards others. Again, it's humility and thankfulness towards God and then a polite, restrained uh, behavior towards others. And again, that's where it becomes this human level. First and foremost to God. Secondly, between me and you guys and you and other people. And one of the things, one of the words that I really like there is the fact it says the word restrained. Gentleness is not the absence of power or ability. It is restraining that power and ability when the circumstances require it. I was thinking, like, how do we grasp this? How would we picture this? And I got the next slide there, if Cedric would bring it up. I think this helps us understand a little bit about what gentleness is. Um, You look at these massive dogs, right? They have strength. They have power. But in this moment, they are not taking that power to, to harm In fact, they have all that power harnessed and they're being very gentle with the the children around them. I I just love this guy's open mouth. He's looking up at that big dog, you know? But it's just one of those things. I also like the little hand. I don't know if you can see it above this dog's ear. Whoever's got that dog is ready to pull it away from that little baby if if things go south. So anyway, this is gentleness. This is strength, but strength is contained in the right situations. So gentleness isn't being a doormat. Gentleness isn't being walked all over. Gentleness is being strong, but knowing when to restrain that strength. And gentleness is knowing how to respond in each and every situation. In the Bible, there are two people that are known to have been meek. And the Bible has actually stated that they were meek. The first guy is Moses. And if you're familiar with Moses' story, you'll know that he was born into a Hebrew family. And because of the circumstances at the time, he was adopted into an Egyptian family. He was raised really as a prince in Egypt well-educated, um, you know, and, and just uh, really had everything at his, at his fingertips. And when he was an adult, he was walking around in Egypt, and he sees uh, an Egyptian soldier uh, beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses, not in a moment of gentleness, actually responds and reacts and kills the Egyptian, has to flee. And he goes out into the wilderness. He's there for like 40 years, and then God speaks to him. He says, okay, Moses, I got a job for you. And Moses is like, I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. God's like, no, I got a job for you. You're going to lead my people out of slavery into the promised land or to the promised land. And so Moses, actually, after a lot of arguing with God, follows through and he does this. 
He confronts the Pharaoh. He, 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 he leads the people through these plagues in Egypt. And, and, and he finally, Pharaoh says, okay, we're going to let the, my, the Israelite people go. And then Moses has this amazing experience of going on a 40-year road trip with about a million and a half whiny people. All right? You got to think about how many of you have taken road trips with the kids, right? You love your kids, no question. I love my kids. But when that car gets hot, when that road trip gets long, and they have to pee for the hundredth time, and they've spilled things in the back seat, and by the end of that journey, you know, whether it's five, six, seven hours, maybe a couple days, you're just tired of it, right? Moses, 40 years dealing with whiny people. You know, he had strength. He had the ability. He obviously killed the guy, right? So he, he has the ability to lash out. And during that time, maybe he makes some mistakes, smashes the Ten Commandments, all of those things. He loses his cool sometimes. But to lead over a million people for 40 years requires a great amount of strength under control. And Numbers chapter 12 says this, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. And I challenge you, try to lead a million and a half people for a few days. See what that's like. Moses was able to do it for, for 40 years. It wasn't a lack of strength that displayed his meekness. It was strength under control. The second individual that scripture says is meek is, is Jesus. And there's a number of different passages of scripture that I want you to see. We're going to start with a, with a prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42 verse 3, and it says this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And so this was Isaiah the prophet, and he was prophesying about what the Messiah was going to be like. And if we just took this as a, a literal um, a translation or a, a little literal speaking of the Messiah, this would be, you know, if Jesus was walking around Bud Miller and he sees one of the cattails kind of bent over, you know, it's a little bit damaged, Jesus isn't going to come along and, you know, snap that thing off and throw it into the, into the water there. He's not going to do that. And, and here we see it's a, a faintly burning wick. He comes along and he sees a little candle that's trying to burn and the wick is smoldering. He's not going to lick his fingers and, and extinguish that. He's, he's going to try to fan that into flame. That's what we look at, just that, that little thing. But really, it's such a much deeper application than that. So much more um, uh, uh, amazing, I guess, when you really look at what it is. A number of different commentators say, a bruised reed he will not break. And here is talking about a person whose life has just been railroaded by sin. Jesus didn't come into this world to bring judgment. He came to bring freedom. He came to bring restoration. Sin separates us from God. Sin ruins that relationship with God. And as a result of sin, we deserve eternal condemnation. But Jesus came into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. He did not come alongside of people in, in, in life where they were broken by sin and, and make fun of them and ridicule them and, and send them away. He reached out and did what he could to restore them, to build them up. That's Christ. That's his gentleness. He's coming alongside of people, building people up. And then it talks about this faintly burning wick. And here, that is an example of someone whose faith, somebody who's a believer in Jesus, but their faith is weak. You ever been in those moments? You ever in those moments when, when something's going wrong and you're just like, oh man, I, I don't know if I can keep this together. I don't know if I can keep believing. You know, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't look at that and go, man, you're not putting in the effort, you're off the team. You know, come back next year when you're a little stronger. That's not how Jesus responds to us. Jesus' response is, man, your faith is smoldering. Let's fan that into a flame. 
It's burning out a little bit. Let's fan that into something that's bright and burning so that people can see myself in you. He's not out to destroy. He's not out to push us away. He's out to rebuild and to renew the life that sin has broken. Another passage of scripture is quite familiar when we think about Jesus is comes at a time when Jesus was quite busy and parents were bringing their kids to Jesus, to, to see Jesus. And the disciples were like, no, 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 Jesus is too busy. And Luke 18 says this, but Jesus said to the, I called to them, uh, to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. And here, to me, this is a really cool example of Jesus' gentleness because as parents, you understand that you're just not gonna hand off your kid to just anybody. As people watched Jesus and they saw him interact with people, there was something that attracted them to him. There was something in him that people said, you know what? He is trustworthy. He is good. We don't just, as parents, we don't just hand our kids off to anybody. They're cherished to us. We want to protect them. We want to care for them. When Parker was little, uh, he was like a baby. Um, we were at church, and you're, if you're a pastor, you know, person, everybody thinks they get to handle your baby, right? It's just one of those things. Oh, cool. I mean, you know. And so this lady came up, and she said, can I hold your baby? And I knew her, and I trusted her. I said, sure, you can hold him. And I passed her, Parker, you know, my firstborn, and they're glass when they're firstborn. You think they're going to break if they sneeze, right? So you're like, you're wound up, and you're like, here you go. And then she looked at her four-year-old daughter and goes, do you want to hold him? And I'm going, what? You know, and she, the daughter sits on the pew and her mom puts Parker in her, her arms and I'm just like, I'm freaking out. I'm going like, what? I don't just trust my kids with anybody. I want somebody who I know is going to care for them, who's going to look out for them. Parker was okay, by the way, you know, but it was, my wasn't, all right? And so, and so uh, you want somebody who you can trust to be around your kids. You wouldn't just hand your kids to anybody. And so as people observed Jesus, as they saw him interacting, they saw in him a gentleness, a, a caring spirit, enough that they would bring their babies to him. The little children, some of the translations would say infants or babies. These are little ones. And they're bringing them to Jesus because they see a gentleness in Jesus. But was Jesus spineless? Was Jesus a pushover? Was he a doormat? And if we go back to that passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 3, it says this, he will faithfully bring forth justice. See, Jesus is all about restoration. Jesus is all about fanning flame, uh, a smoldering uh, flame of faith into a full-blown fire. But also, he is not unwilling to, to deliver justice when it's required. Look through the, the New Testament. Jesus flipping tables and, 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 and whipping, you know, cracking the whip there in the temple. He's not afraid to, when things are wrong, to stand up against that. And to say, no, this is wrong. He was not afraid to call out the Pharisees for this unreasonable burden they were putting on people. Doesn't mean that he was a doormat, but he knew when to use his strength. And he knew when to restrain his strength as well. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus sort of gives us a, a peek into his gentleness. It says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And here Jesus is saying, you know, he's calling people to himself. And particularly in this situation, Jesus is talking to the people who have been religiously oppressed. God's law was a good law, but then man added to it and made it really unattainable. 
Really, man set it up to beat people down where God's law was set up to draw people to himself, to show how, how holy he was, to show how good he was, and to provide a way for them to, to be restored in their relationship with him. But man decided, you know what, I need to, I, we need to put a little bit more into that. We need to make sure that there's next levels of religious sanctification, you know, next levels of, of holiness, you know, that God didn't require. And so they're putting all these unreasonable demands on people that, that pleasing God became such a burden. And Jesus is like, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. You know, you might be here today and, and you might be looking for peace in life. You've tried a number of different things and everything seems to have let you down. You've tried to earn your way to God's favor. You've tried all kinds of different temptations and things along those lines and nothing seems to have, have given you peace. In fact, everything seems to actually take more than actually offering you rest. But here, Jesus says this, come to me. If you're tired of striving for peace, if you're tired of striving to be accepted by God, come to me. That is the way for rest. Jesus said, I will give you rest. As we place our faith and trust in Christ, we receive forgiveness of sin. All the condemnation of sin is removed from us and we are welcomed into his eternal family. And that is peace. And that is the only source of peace is a right relationship with God. See, Jesus' concern was always to bring peace. He was gentle. He wanted to offer peace to all people around him. So that's sort of a broad example of how Jesus demonstrated his gentleness. But I want to get into a situation that's a little bit more specific and, in fact, probably would not necessarily write off be something we would think about demonstrating gentleness. And here, uh, just to sort of set up the backstory, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he, is just, he, he knows that Judas is betraying him. He's taken the rest of his disciples to the garden, and he's praying. It's the passage that Marissa read for us this morning. And in, even to go further back than that, before the world was created, of course, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they knew what was going to happen when they created the world. They knew that as they created the human race, the human race was going to reject God. And they knew as a result of that, there would be consequences, there would be punishment. And before they even made the world, they had the plan, what we call the plan of salvation, the plan to rescue people from sin. And Jesus was that plan, that he would come into this world, that he would live a life without sin. He would never disobey God, never rebel against God. And he would die on the cross and that he would take the punishment for sin. So Jesus came, he was born into this world, he lived approximately 33 years. And now it's the night before that plan is going to be fulfilled. And he's in the garden, and, and he begins to pray. And I'm just going to skim through that, Cedric, so I apologize if I throw you off a little bit. But he takes the disciples in, and he says, here, a bunch of you stay here, all right? And then he takes Peter, James, and John just a little further, and he said, you guys wait here. And he began to be sorrowful. The weight of what was about to happen to him began to overwhelm him. And then he began to pray, and he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes back to his disciples who he'd asked to pray with him, and they had fallen asleep. And he says, Couldn't you just pray with me for an hour? 
Couldn't you stay awake and pray? This is a serious situation. And he goes away and he begins to pray again. And my father, if this cannot pass until, unless I drink it, your will be done. He came back again and he found the disciples sleeping. And then a third time he went away and he prayed the same thing. Jesus knew what the plan of salvation was. He knew he was going to suffer and die as the weight of what was about to happen overwhelmed him. He went to God in prayer. He cried out. He said, God, if there's any other way, let's do it. If there's a plan B, let's go that route. But he knew there wasn't a plan B and he was totally willing to follow the Father. He said, you know, not my will, yours be done. If this is the way that has to go, then I am going to do it. And we have to understand that this is this spirit of gentleness. Spirit of gentleness in us is, is when we recognize that there are some crazy bad situations in life. There are times when, when God is going to allow things to happen in our life. Maybe we're going to lose a job. Maybe somebody's going to betray us. Maybe our, our marriage is going to break up. Maybe somebody that we love is going to die. Maybe we are going to get sick or somebody we care about is going to be sick. And we have all of this, this sorrow heaping upon us. And a gentle spirit is one that is willing to come to God and say, God, if you can deliver me from this, if you can rescue me from this, if you could change this, that would be awesome. Jesus did that. Hey, if we could change the situation, would you please do it? The Psalms are filled with examples of this. Psalm four, verse one, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm five, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you I do pray. O Lord, in Psalm six, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 12, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Here, David, actually five out of six of these are David. Psalm 10 is in the Psalm of David. David, a man after God's own heart, multiple times. Uh, you know, that's only the first 12 chapters of the Psalms. It continues on, where David just cries out to God and saying, God, this situation is not cool. Could we, could we change it? But here's the amazing thing about, about the Psalms. As we, we continue on, we, we look further in the Psalms. I've put both, both verses up there. The one that they, in Psalm chapter 4 that you see that first part, um, you know, I was in distress. And then Psalm 4 verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you, O Lord. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In Psalm 5, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless, in righteous, you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Psalm 6, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All of my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and, and be put to shame in a moment. Psalm 10, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And then Psalm 12, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. See, here's the thing about gentleness. As we think about our response to God, it's recognizing that he is in control. 
It's recognizing that, yes, sometimes he does allow circumstances to come into our life that that we just don't feel we can handle or feel that just require such a cost to us. And we can cry out to him. And that's still a spirit of gentleness. But a spirit of gentleness is also demonstrated in this. God, if you're not gonna take it away, I'm gonna trust in you as my refuge. God, if you're not gonna take it away, I'm gonna trust in you for the strength to endure this difficulty. God, if you're not gonna take it away, I am going to continue to cry out to you and find rest and refreshment even in the midst of difficulty. Spirit of gentleness is a spirit of, of surrender to God. It's recognizing that he is, he is in charge. And it's recognizing that, that he is a good God. And that even if the situation seems really awful, he is going to sustain us and carry us through that situation. He's going to do good in our lives, even though the situation feels overwhelming. So not only do we that submission to circumstance, we also see that submission in the sense of obedience to God. See, I demonstrate gentleness when I get that really juicy tidbit of gossip and I don't let it go any further. Instead of sharing it, that that desire to share, I say, no, 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 that's not what God requires of me. He says not to slander, not to gossip. So as a result, I'm going to be obedient to him. I show gentleness when, when those images appear on my screen or I'm tempted to click on that website and I say, no, 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 God doesn't want me to look at immorality. He wants me to be pure. So I'm going to turn off the screen. I'm going to get away from the internet. I'm going to protect my heart and mind because that's what God requires of me. Gentleness is on display. It's, it's shown when we're filling out our income tax. And it would be really nice to fudge the numbers just, just a little bit so that we get a little bit more back or we don't have to pay as much. But gentleness is on display when we're completely honest as we fill out the income tax. Gentleness is having the strength to trust that what God has said and provided is good and choosing to obey him even when our desires may be for something else. That's gentleness. That's a spirit of not resisting God. And that's a spirit of gentleness that says, God, I trust you. I trust that when you say no, you say no for a reason. I trust when you say to do this or to endure this, that you're doing that for a reason. I'm willing to trust you for the strength to either say no to sin or to say yes to the situation that you have brought to my life um, and to trust you for the strength to get through it. So not only is, is gentleness seen in our submission and our obedience to God, gentleness is definitely also seen in our interaction with other people. So we continue on with Jesus' story in the garden. He was arrested. He was, he was taken um, into sort of a mock trial by the, by the Jewish religious leaders of the time. And as they put him on trial, they questioned whether he was truly the son of God. And he, he very much affirms that, yes, he was, he was the son of God. And then as a result, the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And later on, they've, they've moved him from, from the Jewish trial to, to Pilate, and Pilate has sentenced him to be beaten, and we pick up the story there in Mark 15, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. 
and they led him out to crucify him. You know what? These guys were picking on the wrong guy, weren't they? They're picking on Jesus, the one who, who, you know, as they spit on him, even as the spit flies out of their mouth, Jesus could have just stopped their heart from beating. But he's the one who gives life and breath to all. As that, as that hand came to slap him, he could have instantly just crippled that hand and made it so the person could not, no longer use that to slap him. As they mocked him, he could have simply just made their mouth so they could no longer speak. He could have just shut them down. But Jesus, in a spirit of gentleness, restrains his strength because there was a greater purpose, the glory and honor of God, bringing people to salvation. Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't stay quiet because of a lack of strength. Jesus stayed quiet because he understood the bigger picture. He understood the importance of bringing glory to God, not self-vindication. He understood the importance of filling God's plan of the plan of salvation rather than saving his own skin. And when we encounter difficulty, when people uh, gossip about us, when people make fun of us, when people treat us in ways that we don't want to be treated, our reaction is, I have the ability to get back. Whether verbally, physically, I have that ability to give back, but that's not what Jesus has called us to. That's not a spirit of gentleness. In Luke 6, it says this. Jesus' instruction, it says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to, to you, do so to them. This is the spirit of gentleness. When somebody mistreats us, it starts with love your enemies. Just think about that. Those people that really beat us down at work, beat us down at school, beat us down in, in wherever our environment, they're constantly on us. Jesus says, love them. Go out of your way. Do something compassionate for them. Do something kind to them. Do the opposite. You know, what incredible strength that takes. That's a spirit of gentleness. It's not, oh, I'm just going to let them do whatever. No, I'm going to come back at them, but I'm not going to come at them with their method. I'm going to come back at them with love. And I'm going to show them the love of Christ that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while you're still mistreating me, I'm going to show love to you. Love your enemies. Do good for those that hate you. you no, know, that's, that's like buying a coffee for the office jerk. You know what I mean? That person that's just totally on everybody all the time. You know, like, hey, I'm going to buy them a coffee. I'm going to treat them well. I'm going to show them, again, Christ's love for those situations. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, I want you to pay attention to that. Pray for them. You don't have to pray for them and still be by their side. If somebody is abusing you, emotionally, physically, whatever, you can pray for them from a distance. It's a good idea to separate yourself from abuse. Absolutely but you can still show that spirit of gentleness by praying for their restoration and praying for them to make that area right with the Lord. So many things we could look at from this passage, we just got to skip on a little bit. But the beauty of gentleness is strength under control. It's not being a doormat. It's actually responding in a stronger way. It doesn't take much for me to insult you if you've already insulted me. I can do that real easy. It takes a lot more work for me to hold my tongue or to say something kind back to you. That's the strength of gentleness. 
Last thing, if you look at Luke 23 with me, we pick up uh, this account again of, of Jesus' crucifixion in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what to do. And they cast lots to, d- to divide his garments. Here Jesus, in the middle of his suffering, wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on what his purpose was. And his purpose was to provide salvation for, for those around him. Father, forgive them. You know what? Today, if you're here, I hope you see Christ's gentleness. We have all offended him. We have all, in some way or another, contributed to his death on the cross. We have I mocked him or, or just, just disobeyed him. And Jesus, if we were there that day, would have said, Father, forgive them. We are here in the present, and he will say, Father, forgive them. He wants nothing more for you despite what you've done for him. He wants nothing more for you than to have eternal peace with God. And that peace is available again through believing in what he accomplished on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, rising again three days later, guaranteeing us forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven. And so we need to have that same attitude towards others. Our focus needs to be constantly, uh, do they know Christ? Do they know Christ? As they mistreat me, do I have an opportunity to show the gospel to them? It can't be our pride that wins. We have to ask the Holy Spirit, give me the ability, give me that fruit of gentleness so that when I want to snap back, I snap back with love rather than snapping back with anger. It's not something that's easy to do. It's not something we do on our own. Practically speaking, this week, how do, we, how do we put on that spirit of gentleness as we interact with other people? It doesn't always have to be with the mean people that we show gentleness. Today, this week, as you go to a restaurant, really acknowledge your server. Take some time to, to thank them. Take some time to interact with them. As they bring your food, take that time to say thank you and, and, and treat them like a, like a real person. You know, interact with them well. Do a chore that doesn't normally fall under your responsibility or a task at work that doesn't normally fall under your responsibility. Go above and beyond to do something for everybody, for somebody else. Take some time to treat somebody to a meal that doesn't have the means to, 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 to pay you back to take you out for a meal as well. Just show that extra level of kindness. Tell your kids you love them and prove it by spending extra time with them. Sacrificing maybe what you'd want to do to just spend some time doing what they want to do. I was going to suggest watching a chick flick with your spouse, but I know I'm never gonna follow up on that, so I don't wanna be a hypocrite, all right? But maybe if your wife likes a chick flick, you could watch one with her. Forgive somebody if they've done something to you. See, spirit of gentleness is not a spirit of weakness. It's something that we should crave because in that, we are actually showing incredible strength. We are restraining that sinful nature in us and submitting to God even when it seems impossible. As Doug taught us a couple weeks ago, all of these things on our own, if we're trying to do those on our own, we will fail. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will grow in that spirit of gentleness. You might only snap at your kids three times this week instead of seven, right? That's progress, all right? You know, we might, you know, like just those things. We we need to understand that it's a growth process. Fruit isn't automatically ripe. But we need to say to God, to the Holy Spirit, work these things in me 
so that others can see you in me and we'll get better and better and better as we yield to him more and more and more. Let's pray. Father, I just wanna thank you for today. Uh, Thank you so much, Jesus, that you endured the cross, that you submitted to the Father, Lord, so that we could be saved. Thank you that you didn't lash out when people were mistreating you, Lord, so that we could come to know you as personal Savior. Father, help us to show your gentleness to those around us. Help us not to react how we want to react, either to you or to others, but help us to react as the Holy Spirit would want to act in a spirit of submission, obedience, and love. I just thank you in your name. Amen. Have a great week. Enjoy the afternoon. Again, Pleasant View starts another week at camp. Uh, If you're out at the barbecue, that would be great. Have a super week, guys. God bless. 